Thank you for listening to this recording of Family Bible Church's Sunday morning message. We pray that God will use this word to bless and encourage you. We'll be reading from Acts um, chapter 13, verse 13, down through the end of the chapter. Now when Paul and his party set sail from Pamphus, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch in Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent to them, saying, Men and brethren, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and, motioning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he brought them out of it. Now for a time of about 40 years, he put up with their ways in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. After that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. After John had first preached, before his coming, the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not he. But behold, there comes one after me, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. For those who dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know him, nor even the voices of the prophets which are read, which are read every Sabbath, have fulfilled them in condemning him. And though they found no cause for death in him, they asked Pilate that he should be put to death. Now when they had fulfilled all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. He was seen for many days by those who came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses to the people. And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as it is also written in the second psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. And, the, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Therefore, he also says in another psalm, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep, was buried with his fathers, and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up saw no corruption. 
Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins, and by him everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation had broken up, many of the Jews and devout proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who, speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Now when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was being spread throughout all the region. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city, raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading from his word this morning. You may be seated. Okay, in our study of the book of Acts, we have been clearly seeing how God has been laying out his plan um, <clears throat> from, the, from the beginning, where Jesus told the apostles to wait until they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. They would be witnesses, and we've seen how, indeed, God has done that. And specifically, who was the apostle, if you remember, who, who was the apostle that God specifically worked it out that they would be a witness in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the world. Who is it? It's going to be important in a few weeks when we get to Acts 15. Was it Paul? Peter. Good, thank you. Peter, okay? That's right. It's Peter, okay, one that Jesus said that he would build his church, okay? And so Peter is the one who is officially giving the testimony, if you would, that the gospel is being sent out. But... God gave a prophecy, a promise, to another individual that he would be the apostle to the, the Gentiles. And that was to who? Nope, it wasn't to Paul. Who was it to? Saul. Good job. Okay, it's important because last week we saw him become Paul. But he was Saul, Saul of Tarsus, right? He was the persecutor of the church where Jesus then comes, right? And he, and, he, and he calls him and he transforms him. And while he's at Damascus, he gives him the promise while he is Saul, okay? A little detail. Anyways, so last week then, over the, the last couple weeks, but specifically last week, 
um, we began to watch this journey, okay? And so we, we got into the, the church of Antioch a couple weeks ago. We saw how the leaders were a diverse group <clears throat> that God had brought together from all over the place, okay? Not only from their, their ge- geography, okay, but also in their backgrounds. So you can go back and you can look at that message and stuff like that. But it's an amazing group that God brought together that was there, and that God was going to use then the church of Antioch as his <clears throat> sending forth place. So as we saw Jerusalem being used as the initiation place where the gospel is going to go out from Jerusalem to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world, right? So it's from Jerusalem that Barnabas is sent to go up to Antioch to find out if the things that are happening there are right again, right? And it was, so he knew that he needed to be able to have help in training and teaching the people, so he went over to Tarsus and he grabs Saul and he brings Saul back. Okay, and so Saul and Tarsus, or Saul and Tarsus, Saul and Barnabas are teaching the believers in Antioch. Okay, and so apparently they're doing this. They did it for a year, then they went back to Jerusalem, remember to take the gift, and then they come back from Jerusalem to Antioch to teach further. Okay, and by this point, by the time they left, they must have done well enough because they've got at least three other elders who were there. Okay, so they've been training them. And so there's five of them at this moment who are praying and fasting. And while they're praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit calls for them to send out Saul and Barnabas, or Barnabas and Saul, to the work for which I have called them. Do you remember that? And then the elders prayed and fasted more. They laid hands on them, and they released them. We think of it being sent out. In fact, what New King James even says about sending out. But it, literally in the Greek, it's they released them. The Holy Spirit sent them. We read that in the next verse but the church released them, okay? So the church let them go from that perspective because the Holy Spirit was sending them. So the Holy Spirit was sending them, but then we saw that when they first began, they go from Antioch down to Seleucia, and they take a boat over to Salamis on the island of Cyprus. This is where we were last week. And conjecture, we don't know. We're not told exactly how this plays out, whether the Holy Spirit specifically told Barnabas and Saul that he wants them to go to Cyprus, or whether, because God works this way, and we're talking about the sovereignty of God in all these things, okay? And we're going to see that even more today, okay? That whether God put the burden in Barnabas' heart for his people, because Barnabas was from the island of Cyprus. He was a Cypriot, all right? And so they go to the island of Cyprus, okay? And they begin at Salamis, and then they, in the synagogue, Remember, to the Jew first. And then they travel through the island, and they get all the way to Paphos. And then Paphos is where everything happens, okay? Because it's there that Elymas, or um, Bar-Jesus, comes and he, and he refutes against uh, Saul and Barnabas. And this is where Saul becomes Paul, okay? Because there is a certain individual by the name of, anybody remember his name? Roman guy. Sergius Paulus. Sergius Paulus has heard of the gospel, has heard of the word of God, and he wants to know about it. So he calls for Saul and Barnabas to be able to explain to him what's going on. Well, Satan doesn't want any part of it, so Elymas, who is his worker, right? Remember, he was a Jewish magi pseudo-prophetes, okay? So he was, a, he was a Jew, he was a sorcerer, and he was a false prophet. That's what the Bible says about him. That's how it describes him, okay? And so he's a worker of the devil, is what he is. And so he stands against the presentation of the gospel. So Sergius Paulus cannot come to the faith. But who's greater, God or Satan? God. And God had an appointment. 
with Sergius Paulus that day. I love this stuff. Because I, again, don't know why Paul or Saul and Barnabas chose to go to Cyprus. I think probably because Barnabas was the lead of that time, and he was just going back home. He wanted his people to hear about it. It probably was his motivation. God used that motivation in him to send him where he needed him to be. Because remember, it was Sergius Paulus who gets saved that day, right? He accepts Christ. Does anybody remember, because we talked about this very end of the message last week, and we're going to pick it up today, so you should know it from the Bible reading today. Where is the next place they go? From Paphos, Cyprus, where are they going to go? Antioch of Basidia. Antioch of Basidia, not Antioch, the, the original, okay, but Antioch of Basidia, in the middle of Asia Minor, okay? And if you remember from last week, I shared some archaeological data that proved that Sergius Paulus was down here on Paphos, or, yeah, Patmos, or no, <sighs> Cyprus. And he was down in Cyprus, okay? But I waited for the last piece of archaeological data to show you to this moment. Because, again, they have found where the, the um, residence was, where the estate of Sergius Paulus was, and it was located up in Antioch of Pisidia. And so, again, I can't prove it biblically. I think it's kind of coincidental. God uses things like this to direct us in, in, in where he wants us to go. So from this place, all the way down here in Paphos, they don't come to the, the edge, but they go to Perga, and then through Perga, they travel up directly into Asia Minor, okay, in the middle of Asia Minor, directly to where Sergius Paulus' estate is. I don't see that as, as just a mere coincidence. I think there was a discussion, and Sergius Paulus probably asked Barnabas and Saul to take the word to his family. Just as he wanted to hear the word, he wanted his family to hear the word. And it's at this moment now that we read that Saul changes his name to Paulus. Again, I don't see that as, as just a mere coincidence. From Sergius Paulus, you know, Saul becomes Paulus. I think he, he names it, that's a Roman tradition, and I think that he is becoming the apostle to the Gentiles, and so he chooses a Gentile name, and what better name for him to choose, but if you would, God's first trophy for him, okay? And so you can say it however you want to say that, but that's just kind of where I see all that, okay? And so now all of a sudden, it's confirmed to him. God had told him he would be the apostle of the Gentiles, and he's seen it happen. He's now speaking to rulers, and rulers are getting saved. And so now they go to Antioch, in Antioch of Pisidia, Pisidian Antioch, and now it's here in Antioch of Pisidia where we're going to see an even bigger explosion where God is going to really unveil that mystery, which we talked about from the church, from the, when we studied the book of Ephesus. And so we have time today, if we have time toward the end, I want to look at um, part of chapter 2 and part of chapter 3 of Ephesus, of the, the letter to Ephesus that Paul wrote, because it's there where we see the mystery of God that, that Paul says that he has. Okay, So let's jump into this, because the first thing we see in this passage, and it's a long passage, a long reading today, um, is that they get to Antioch of Pisidia, okay, and they, the first thing they do is they, they go to the synagogue, okay? Again, that's their MO, modus operandi. Why? Because they're Jews, 
Okay? And so you need to understand the, the concept there of the synagogues. They didn't have the Bible. They didn't have, they didn't have their, 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 their cell phones. They didn't have all the different versions and translations and everything else. They just pull out and everybody pull out your phone and let's turn to you know, whatever. Da, da, da. They didn't have that. They had pieces of the scroll that they had that, that scribes had made. <clears throat> they may have the entire Bible. They may not have the entire Bible. They may only have portions of the Bible. And so one of the things that they thrived on were itinerant rabbis, teachers, okay? And so, you, again, you have Barnabas coming in, and who was Barnabas? Barnabas was a what? Good job, Steve. He was a Levite. He was a Levite. What do you know about Levites? They're supposed to teach, okay? They're, they're, I mean, they're, they're part of the tribe that were supposed to be the, the priests and the, and the, and the workers in the, in the temple, right? What about Paul, who was Saul? What do we know about Paul? He was a Benjaminite, but he was a Pharisee. But what else do we know about him? He was a scholar. Keep going. Dig one step further with that. Ah, under Gamaliel. He was a student of Gamaliel. Gamaliel was one of the most noted and respected teachers of the law. And so he is a student of Gamaliel. He sat at the feet of Gamaliel. We've talked about that in the past. Okay, So here you've got a Levite, and a disciple of Gamaliel coming to your synagogue, okay? I mean, we're sitting here today, and John MacArthur or Will Varner or one of these other guys who've been, been trained in the Word just happened to show up today. Hey, have a seat, man. That's great. Good. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. In those days, that's not how it would happen. Rather, they would say, hey, we have Rabbi so-and-so here today. If you have a word to share with us, please do. Still happens in Africa. Still happens in Africa. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's true. You're, yeah, Peru the same. The Peru the same. It's, it's, it's kind of exciting. And so, um, so they would have these, these other men speak, right? So that's exactly how it plays out. So they're invited to speak. So I, I want to ask you right off the bat, what would you say? You walk in. I wouldn't but you're in Africa, and you're just on this mission trip. I just came to get a cultural experience, you know? And, and they say to you, brother, we are so glad that you came to join us today. Can you give us a word of God today? Uh, sorry, I, that's not my gift. That's not exactly right. I'm sure it is. I'm sorry, that's not my gift. It is your gift. If you've got the word of God, it's your gift. Right, kids? Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope. With? Good job. That's exactly right. Always be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. You need to be ready. Always be ready. Now, again, clearly these guys are on a trip. We can kind of discount it, right? Yeah, they kind of know it. You know, it's kind of out there. They're ready for this moment. I don't know if they're ready for the moment, but they were ready for the moment. They were ready in season, out of season. Okay? You never know when someone's going to ask you to open up your mouth and share something. Wow, man, can I tell you about how the Steelers whomped on the Dallas Cowboys twice in the Super Bowls? I did that for Rodney's sake. Anyways, so <laughs> he's out of here. <laughs> But think about it. What are we going to share? 
Are, are we going to talk about sports? Are we going to talk about the trip? Wow, our trip was really rough. But, you know, we, we made it straight. And nobody got, you know, seasick and, and this kind of stuff. No, they had an opportunity to speak. And so they opened up their mouth and they shared the gospel. Now, it's important because, again, these people were godly people, quote-unquote. Okay, we're going to put it in parentheses, godly. They were Jewish people. They're coming to synagogue, right, to worship God. So we're going to say that at least they're God-focused from that perspective, yeah? Okay? And so they shouldn't be anti-anything I'm going to get ready to tell them because I'm going to start giving them a history of Israel. It's a very quick history, so we're not going to go through it. You can read it. Chuck's already read it, right? But from the rise okay, of King David, from Egypt through the wilderness into the Promised Land, and then from the judges into the kings, and so even mentioning that the first king was Saul, Okay, because that conjures up images for all these people. They don't have to necessarily go into all the details, but they're bringing it up. God chose our people, brought them out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness. You remember a bunch of really they were mutinous kind of people. But God did it anyway, brought them out, brought them into the promised land, you know? And he brought them into the promised land, and they had all these judges. Again, people were pretty mutinous kind of people, but God did it. And they asked, and David, or David Paul states this, and then they asked for a king. Remember, that was disobedience. So he's reminding them of their disobedience here a little bit. You know, just kind of gently, kind of, you know, that you asked for the king, you know. And so God gave him a king. God gave him Saul. But then God determined that he was going to give him a king who was after his own heart. So God then gave you a king after his own heart, right? So, so we got the rise of King David. But then you got the rejection of the seed. Because from this David, from this king, there would arise the Savior, the seed of David. And that's what he says, right? And so he arises up, and and God testifies of him by another prophet, John the Baptist, who everybody understood he was a prophet. They went to see him. They were being immersed, baptized, immersed. Okay, remember, baptizo, dip, dunk, immersed. They were being immersed by John in the Jordan River, Euron, okay? And so that's where they went. And at the very end, we're told then that when John was asked, are you the one? And he says, John chapter 1, you can read this. He says, I'm not the one. But rather, there is one coming after me whose sandal strap I'm not willing to, or I'm not worthy to unloose. Now, John also adds a little bit to that as well when he states it. He says, there is one who comes after me who was before me. Okay, that's an important part because John is basically given to the eternal, past eternal presence of Jesus, okay? Remember, Jesus is Yahweh incarnate, okay? So Yahweh is the creator of the heavens and the earth, right? And Yahweh came and encapsulated himself in a zygote. It's mind-boggling. Just mind-boggling. And then to be born of a woman, to walk on the earth so he could be the perfect sacrifice to pay for your sins. We'll get there. And so he talks about this. He says, so he comes to the earth. He's testified by John, but you, your rulers... They condemned him, even though nothing was found in him that was worthy of the condemnation. He was innocent, right? Yet they chose to condemn him. It's an amazing statement, okay? It's the same thing that Peter did back in Jerusalem, and you killed him. God sent your Messiah. God sent your Savior. You killed him. But the rulers killed him. But God raised him from the dead. He resurrected the Messiah. He raised him from the dead. He had witnesses. 
Now, he talks about the, witness, the, the ones who followed him gave witness to it. Okay, So he doesn't, at this point, this is, again, Paul. Paul was the one who wrote 1 Corinthians, right? It was his letter to the Corinthians. By the time he wrote the letter to the Corinthians, he had done a little bit more research or whatever, or a little bit thorough, realized how thorough he needed to be in the proclaiming the, the, the witnesses of Christ's resurrection. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about not just the 12, but he talks about how he was seen, even seen by 500 people at one time. Okay? And he goes through the laundry list of how many times Jesus had been seen. Valid proof that, that, that Christ had been raised from the dead. Okay? But this declared by the scriptures. In other words, this wasn't something that was just made up okay, by, by these 12. But rather now Paul goes to the Psalms, to the writings of who? David. Okay, so you guys love David. David declared this. David said, you will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. But David what? He died. And you can go find his tomb, you can go find his bones, okay? The reality is that his body suffered corruption. But David was talking about the one who would come after him, Messiah would come after him. It's really kind of fun. I was telling you in Testament time home in the Psalms, and there's one that was written by Solomon as well, and he's talking about the, the son. And, and, he's, and he's, it's a messianic psalm. It's really kind of cool as you read through it. Just, anyways, I just want to encourage you. Read the word, read the word, read the word, read the word. Every day, read the word. It's just so much truth. It's so exciting. Anyways, and so, so there's all these psalms, and he goes to Isaiah and quotes from Isaiah as well. Okay, We're showing that, look, this is something that was declared ahead of time that Messiah would come, he would be cut off, but that he would be raised from the dead. This, this is a mystery that God has been revealing. This is really kind of fun. Things that you all missed. Not you all, but Paul's talking, right? You all missed it. It was in the Word. It was there for us. And now Paul's kind of, it's kind of cool that Paul's saying all this because Paul what? He persecuted the church. Good job, Rodney. Which means he what? He missed it too. <laughs> He's speaking from experience. You get it? He sat at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the most noted teachers. Gamaliel missed it. That's exactly right. How cool is it? So, you know, intellect doesn't always equate with wisdom and knowledge. I remember people telling us, yeah, amen. That's exactly right. Remember years ago, people were telling us about, and I'll pick on my oldest daughter, how mature she was. And I was like, no, 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 no. You can't go there. And I was like, why? I said, she's smart. She's smart. And she knows how to socialize with adults, but it doesn't necessarily make her mature. People are going to look like, oh, you're picking on you. No, this is a reality. It doesn't mean you're, I mean, you don't, it doesn't mean you have a lot of wisdom just because you have a lot of knowledge in the world. Does that make sense? You know how to change the, 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 the the uh, flapper inside the toilet, therefore you must be a rocket science. No, this is kind of, this is kind of goofy. And so, so be careful, okay? Because people can have a lot of degrees, they can have a lot of knowledge, they can have a lot of all this kind of stuff, but they haven't got the truth. Okay? And so if someone wants you to believe them because they have all the degrees, they're hiding behind their degrees. The truth will stand on its own. And God's word is truth. Jesus said that it was profitable for us for him to leave because when he left, he would send who? The Holy Spirit. 
in what was going to be the job of the Holy Spirit. I know the convicted world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, but what, for us specifically, what was the job of the Holy Spirit? To remind us of his teaching, but to guide us into what? All truth. Do you get it? If, you're, if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit dwells within you. Ephesians chapter 1 is very clear. There are many other passages, 2 Corinthians 5. Anyways, multiple passages that tell us about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. And if that's the truth, because if it's not the truth, get rid of it all. I mean, this is just how it plays out. If Jesus lied, he's not your Messiah. Or he's a false Messiah. He's a false Savior. So you've got to just get rid of the entire New Testament. So you got to, if Jesus is, is Messiah, he's speaking truth. This is how I play it out. I mean, people can debate me all around, but it's like, I am a follower of Messiah. I'm a follower of the Christ. If he said it, <laughs> I believe it, man. Whether I understand it or not, it's, it's, it's there. So the Holy Spirit is given to me to guide me into what? All truth. But I have to what? Say again? I have to believe it. And then what? Say again? Listen, and, well, yeah, listen to him and trust him to do it, to, to look to God to guide me and direct me, okay? And he's given me then what? His word to do it. So if you want to be led into all truth, and Jesus said in John 17, he was praying for us, that his word is truth, where do you think you're going to get it? It's right there. The Holy Spirit's going to guide you as you read it. He's going to instruct you. Psalm 32, verse 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee, and the way thou shalt go, I will guide thee with mine eye. I mean, do you believe that it's true? I think it's true. Okay? David, throughout Psalm 119, I think it was David. I know you don't think it was David, but it's okay. I think it's David. And so David wrote Psalm 119, and that throughout it, he declares what? That God's going to guide us through his word. He's going to protect us with his word. He's going to cleanse us with his word. His word is extremely important. So if you're not reading his word, okay, then you're going to be open to deception. Okay? We talked about that in Sunday school, okay, as we went begin to look at Mormonism, okay? So if you don't know his word, you're going to be open to deception. So it was declared by the scriptures. So it's important. David went back to the word of God to validate the message that they were proclaiming to them. Does that make sense? Okay? Very, very important, okay? Well, as a result of all this, most important part, through this Jesus who came, through the seed of David who came, you have the forgiveness of sins, very critical statement for them. Because the second side is, that I put there, it's justification by faith. The individuals that he's talking to at this moment believe, if you would, that they can have forgiveness of sin, but is it permanent or temporary? Temporary. temporary. Because they've got to continually offer what? Sacrifices. Well, for these ones who live away from Jerusalem, think about this. You're not going in and offering a lot of sacrifices. So, so just like today, um, when you come to Yom Kippur, okay, the day of atonement, okay, you have to go to the temple to offer what? The yearly sacrifice, right? The problem is what? There's no temple. So, so it's changed. Many of them who at least go... The far as a sacrifice will, will wave a, a dead chicken over their heads. They will sacrifice a chicken and, and wave it over. And I'm not making fun, but it's a reality. Because if, if you believe that this is true and all of a sudden you can't do it anymore, 
you got to come up with a way to what? Do, sacrifice or do it. Do something in that light, right? So, so now they had their salvation where? In the law. Okay? Isaiah 53 is very clear. It's a Messiah, right? That, um, who, who Christ is, right? He's a suffering servant. But if you ask a Jewish person today, okay, in, a learned one, they're going to tell you that that was Israel. That they, Israel themselves, are the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. That God has flogged them on behalf of the whole world. Okay? It doesn't hold up when you read Isaiah 53. It's like, this doesn't play out. But that's what they've come to believe. That's what they teach. Okay? In order to be able to explain the scriptures away. Okay? And so, you're coming now, Paul's presenting this thing of you can have forgiveness of sins, but it's not going to come through the obedience to the law. It's going to come through faith. You're going to be justified by believing in the one who died on your behalf. The perfect sacrifice. No longer do you have to worry about making a sacrifice. God has done it on your behalf. Now you are justified. You are declared righteous based upon faith, not based upon your works. That is a total change. Now what's really interesting here though, is the reaction to this. So, so you need to understand, he goes through this whole history, right? And he, and he comes to this total change of philosophy, of theology for them. What was the reaction? Well, first of all, the Gentiles, they parakaleo, exhort them, encourage them. Okay, this isn't just like, you know, but they're like, please, come, you got to come back. Do it, do it, come back. When do they ask him to come back? Next Sabbath, isn't it? The Gentiles. Are understanding it. Come back next Shabbat. And we want you to proclaim to us the same message. And so as we're going to see, they, the Gentiles proclaiming it, that Paul and Barnabas must have said, sure, we'll, we'll do that, right? Because we're going to see it in just a moment. Everybody shows up, right? Well, what about the Jews? Many of the Jews followed Paul and Barnabas. This is an important thing to stop and, and take note of. At this moment, when they preached this philosophy that was totally contrary, right? They're preaching faith, not works. Many of the prominent Jews and believers followed them. Followed them. For one week. For one week. Why? Well, because next week happens. And so what happens is next week in the synagogue, almost we're told... Okay, this is, so when you read in all in the Bible, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean all. It's being used in as a hyperbole way, okay? So in order to get rid of that thought in your brain, Luke is writing some specific details for you to let you know, okay, okay, all the city didn't come, but he's writing specifically and lets you know in the Greek, almost the whole city showed up. In other words, I'm letting you know in detail that it really was this way. Could you imagine today? So this week, the time changed last night, right? So we're going to start knocking on doors again. And so we start knocking on doors on Wednesday, right? And as a result of it, the entire neighborhood shows up next week. All of a sudden, we got 200 people wanting to come into this little building. How do you feel about that? How do you feel when they, take, they sit in your seat when you walk in and all of a sudden your seat's not there? We have visitors today. I don't know whose seat they took, but, you know. 
Did you, did anybody look bad at you? Did they kind of look nasty? You're like, hey, man, you know, this is where I normally sit. <laughs> Hopefully it never happens here. But I'm telling you, growing up, I won't tell you what the church, some of you know what kind of church I went to. There was one Sunday my dad decided, I don't know why, we always sat in the front row, left side. No, he wasn't the pastor. We just sat there, okay? And so we always sat there in thumb and thigh, if, if you made a squeak the wrong way, because you knew the thumb and the thigh meant you were more than a thumb and the thigh later on. So you sat nice, okay? So we sat in the front, front row. But one day my dad got this burn. He decided he wasn't going to sit there. We sat up in the balcony. And we'd always get early. We were always early. Again, Pittsburgh, remember hills? We walked, even if you couldn't drive, you walked, you know, in the snow, uphill both ways, right? Okay, we were always there. And so, and so we're sitting there up in the balcony. And what a weird sensation that is to sit in the balcony after you're always used to being like right down front, right? People are coming in, people are finding their seats. You get to watch all this because you're up in the balcony, right? Until somebody comes up to the balcony to get their what? And their seat's not available anymore because those Corbins decided to sit someplace else. And they look at you, and my dad was an old Marine sergeant. We ain't moving, baby. I mean, it was just, this is where we were. And, uh, and so... so the shuffle, let the shuffle begin. Oh, yeah, it was an amazing moment. And I remember someone sitting in, and I won't say her name, tell you still and tell you, her name is an older woman in the church. And she came in, and her seat was taken. They want it moving. They, they want it moving. It was like, like. and I, I always, I, I wasn't a believer then. I didn't come a believer until I was in my 20s, but I'll never forget that moment. So I want to ask you, what would be your reaction to what's happening in the synagogue? Because who's showing up? Almost the whole city. Gentiles, Gentiles are showing up. And does anybody know what a synagogue looked like? There's defined seating areas. That's exactly right. Okay? Where were the Gentiles? In the back. The very, very back. Okay? I think they were behind the women. Okay? Well, I don't know if it was standing room only, but they probably had seating because they wanted some of the most noted coming because people give, right? So anyways, and so, but could you imagine now all of a sudden your synagogue is full of Gentiles, unclean people. So you need to kind of get this grip of where you're at. So coming in next week, or a bunch of people with, now I'm picking on Bob here, Okay? Because if you ever watched any of the Ray Comfort videos, you'll understand who Stephen is, okay? And so I got a, I got a hundred guys with blue mohawk hair and, 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 and tats and, 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 and things and sticking out everywhere, bones and everything, all over the place. And they're all walking in, and they're, and they're filling up the congregation. So if you've seen, I haven't seen it yet, but if you've seen the movie... Uh, Jesus Revolution, and you see Chuck Smith having to, to, to deal with the hippies, you'll, get, you'll understand it, okay? So that's Bob Hippie, Bob's Hippie kind of concept, okay? And so, and all of a sudden it's like, boom, here they are. You know, and you're like, oh, praise God. Would you? Or would you like, uh, <clears throat> we have an overflow over there. <laughs> you know you can watch this on, on Zoom. We'll, give you the, we'll send you the link. <laughs> I mean, you get it? I mean, and so these Jews are now very uncomfortable. It was one thing when the message was to us, and we're being exalted. Does that make sense? 
It's another thing when now all of a sudden we start being outnumbered. And you may start to have to change the way you operate. Well, they become indignant. We're told that they have um, this envy. It's the word zealos in the Greek, and it means zeal or jealousy. Okay, it depends on whether it's a negative or a positive. Okay, so you just have this fervor, if you would, in this moment. It's an indignation. Okay, they have this fervent anger that's going on at the situation. Why? Because of their pride. Okay, they were the Jews. They were the people. These. So, you know, what are you doing bringing all these other ones in? You know, no, this is only to to us, and they got to come through us to get this. But remember, Paul said last week, it's not what through the law. Uh, not last week to us, but last week for them in the synagogue, right? He had just told them it's not through the law, but it's by faith, justification by faith, right? And that sounded good until all of a sudden you realize that meant that all these Gentiles are going to come and they don't have to what? Keep the law. Oh, I don't know if I like this one anymore, okay? And so they got discrimination against the Gentiles. Again, their pride comes up because they think they're better than the Gentiles. But then look what their actions are. Now they fight against it. And we're told, even to the point of blaspheme. When you are prideful and upset, and you begin to act out of your flesh, yeah, that's exactly right. You know where it goes. It always leads. Sin leads to sin, right? Does anybody know, hot topic, what is the unpardonable sin? Say again? Blaspheming what? Against the Holy Spirit. Now, it's important because Jesus said, you can blaspheme me and still be forgiven you. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, there is no forgiveness for you. Well, what is it? Well, again, that goes back to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? Who is it that convicts you of sin, righteousness, and judgment? The Holy Spirit. So if you blaspheme, if you ignore, if you reject, if you quench the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, what forgiveness is there? There is none. Jesus died, 1 John 2, right? Says that he is a propitiation not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he dies for the whole world, but you have to make the decision. You have to believe. But if you quench the working of the Holy Spirit and you blaspheme against him, there is no hope for you. Well, these guys get to the place where they're blaspheming. All because Paul's teaching them something different than what they always believed. Now again, you got to know the word because Paul could have been, this is straight, put yourself back in the day, Paul could have been a what? A false prophet. Okay? And so he could have been. He and Barnabas could have been, could have been leading people astray. Okay? So they needed to know the word. That's why it was important when they went to the word and they proclaimed what the word said. And so these people, we're going to talk about the Bereans coming up, okay? And the, the Bereans are more noble in that they search the scriptures daily to find out whether the things were true. These guys didn't. They reacted. And they began to fight against it. And they blasphemed it, okay? So, Paul now begins with this revelation of the mystery. And we're probably not going to have time to go to Ephesians, but we'll mention it. Um, but the first part of it is the denouncement of the Jews. Since they start fighting against it, listen to what Paul says. It's very important, okay? Because we're going to talk about the appointment of the Gentiles in a moment, okay? And there is a, a balance in Scripture between free will and election. I believe them both. I don't know how they come together. 
I don't really care. To me, it goes back further to the balance between the foreknowledge of God and the predestination of God. How does the foreknowledge and predestination come together? I don't know. I know they're both true topics in God's word, but God hasn't chosen to reveal to us the fine line between the two. Okay? But Paul says to him, you have rejected it, and you have judged yourselves worthy, unworthy, I'm sorry, unworthy of everlasting life. Okay? You've done this. You've made a choice. Okay? Foreknowledge, predestined. You can play it out either way you want to. The actual wording, to me, is that they made a choice. Okay? You rejected it. And you found yourself, made yourself, you judged yourself unworthy. You made a decision. Okay? God didn't decide this for you. You chose this for you. But the other side of it is going to come right off the bat, okay? Because the appointment of the Gentiles, okay? That in as many as the Gentiles who were appointed to believe came, okay? And so the word tasso in the, in the and so ladies, in Ephesians 5, you're told to submit unto your husbands as unto the Lord, right? The word is hupotasso, hupotasso. And so hupo means under, tasso, authority, okay? Appointment. So your husband has been appointed to be the head of your house. And you are to bring yourself under the appointment, under the authority then of your husband. Not hupokuo, like the children are told to obey their parents in the Lord, right? That's hupokuo, under the hearing of. You heard it, you did it. Okay, that's your military, you're in the basic training, right? First, or um, drill sergeant says jump, you say, while you're jumping, Okay. <laughs> Like you can change the height, you're going to jump while you're jumping. But you're going to jump, and you're going to be at the same time, you're going to say, ha, ha. Because it's not a question of whether you're going to do it. It's a question of how ardently are you going to do it, okay? So for the wife, it's hupotasso. Well, this is the word tasso. It means appointment, okay? And so I've got some of the verses on your sermon note sheets that you can look at, how it talks about it, okay? And so it's an appointment which comes from outside of you. You didn't give yourself the appointment, you were appointed to something, okay? So this clearly refers to God doing a specific work, okay? I refer to this area as God's appointment book, okay? From the beginning, God has had his determination of what was going to happen throughout the world. There have been appointments. It didn't take God by surprise, when, when man became so wicked and he had to destroy the earth by a flood. When every thought of man was only wicked continually. He already knew what was going to happen. How do I know all that? Well, Ephesians chapter 1 is very clear. When did Christ die for our sins? Before the foundations of the world were laid. It just physically didn't happen until 4,000 Anamundi, year of the world, Anamundi. I believe the world is only about 6,000 years old. Do it. You can do a chronology. I'm a math guy. I love math, right? So you can do a chronology of the Bible, and you'll find out, okay? It's God left all kind of details in God's word for you to be able to discover this stuff, okay? I don't believe it's 10,000 years old. I don't believe it's millions of years. I don't know what to believe that. But I don't believe in the 10,000-year thing either. I don't believe in a long day. A yom is a yom is a yom. It's a 24-hour day, and yes, it can be used otherwise, but it always defines itself literally as it was in the beginning. And God has a plan 
in a purpose, in an appointment book, a schedule book, of how things are going to play out. And Christ came in the fullness of time, Galatians chapter 4, right? When not another second could fit in, in the, uh, the, 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 um, the hourglass of time, Christ came because it was according to God's appointment book, right? Just as the, his return is going to happen according to the specific time. No man knows the day or the hour, but my Father only, which means what? No, there's a day and an hour. There is a day and an hour. God knows it. Now, again, mathematically, I have my little inklings of, of, of concepts and stuff like that, and I've gone on record since the 90s of saying, I think I live, I'm living in the days of Christ's return. Okay? And so I'm not going to set a date. I'm not going to set a year. If you talk to me, we might talk and kind of Josh about this kind of stuff. But the reality is I don't know. How do I know I don't know? Jesus said I don't know. Anybody's going to set you a day, they don't know. They're going to say, oh, I got a special word. I mean, there's a guy now who's got, you know, one Hebrew word and, and everything, whatever. It's just, it's just, he doesn't know. Well, he, maybe he might be right. He might be right. But it won't be because he knew. Maybe because he got a lucky guess. Make sense? You get enough people playing Betsy Bingo type thing, and, and, and the, horse, the cow's going to drop its pucky in, in somebody's spot because somebody got the right spot. You get where I'm going? Okay. So <laughs> when's, the, when's the baby going to be born? You get enough people putting money on a day, somebody's going to be right. But it's not because they what? They didn't know. Okay. So, so God has this appointment book. And it's going to happen as he puts it out. Well, clearly, this isn't the word for election. This isn't the word for predestination, pro or so. It's not that word. This is literally the word for being appointed. There were these individuals. Now, does that lend into the concept of election? 100% it does in my brain. But again, in my brain, there's a possibility that election isn't for every single individual believer, but that there were specific people who were elect, chosen, like John the Baptist, Jeremiah, who were, who were specifically chosen to be their, their individual. Make sense? And then others come based upon the free will. Again, that's God's purview, not mine. I'm not going to sit here and make a theology and, and pummel it down, okay? All I know is that I got Jews who seem to be making a decision, but then I got Gentiles who are what? God has chosen, okay? And he has determined them for this moment because they are going to be, in my brain, the pump. They're going to generate the pump. So God brought the word of God, and they believed, as it was appointed for them to do. Now, you can struggle with that all you want. I do, okay? I struggle with theologies a lot. But I'm not willing to just take somebody's brand of theology, okay? I want the word of God to speak true. And if there's a tension in the word of God, I'm willing to accept it, okay? So there's a tension in my brain right there. So what's part of that... Ephesians 2, 8, 3 to 12, okay? I don't have time to go into it, but Paul very specifically states that he was given a revelation of the mystery of God, which is that the Gentiles would come and be joint heirs with the Jews, and that we only we come as one new man before the throne of God, okay? It's not replacing Israel, but we come with Israel, okay? And it's a new thing called the church, which Jesus referred to, I think it's Luke 24. I think it's Luke 24. Anyways, but Jesus referred to as the age of the Gentiles, Okay? So when the age of the Gentiles is completed, that's what we're in. It's what I call the church age. Okay? When the age of the Gentiles is over, then God's going to take us home, and he's going to deal once again with who? The nation of Israel. 
okay? That's exactly how it's going to play out, okay? So that comes from Daniel chapter 9. That's the, the 70 weeks of Daniel's vision, okay? 69 have been taking place. 483 years of it has gone on. We're waiting for the final week of Daniel's vision, okay, to play out. And so that's what classically is referred to as the tribulation period. But again, I'm not in the classic sense of when it actually starts in Revelation. That's a different story. But the point is it's there, okay? And we know in Revelation 11 there's going to be a temple that's going to be measured. So therefore, a temple is going to be built. God's going to deal with Israel one more time. He has an appointment book. How does it make you feel? God has an appointment book, okay? The expansion of the Word of God. We've seen this all the way through. Every time this happens and people start giving themselves to the Lord, what happens? The Word of God expands, okay? So, do you get it? I'm just challenging you. When you give yourself whole hog to God in His Word and you're reading in His Word and you're spending time with Him and that kind of stuff, you will not... You can't help yourself but share God's word, and people get saved. Again, I'm not going to tell you whether that's foreknowledge or predestination. I'm not going to tell you whether that's free will or election. All I know is it's in that thing. All, my job is to do what? Preach the gospel. That's exactly right. Some water, some so, but God gives the increase. I don't save anybody. Do you get it? You don't save anybody. You're just told to open your mouth. Open your mouth and speak the truth. Okay, in the end, very quick, because this is the last part of it, as a result of it, they're persecuted. The Jews begin a process that we're going to see now when they can't answer, when they cannot answer the, from the truth, okay, from the word of God, they begin to what? Persecute. So they push them out, they kick them out of the city, right? They're expelled from the city. But at the same time, Paul and Barnabas do what? I love it. They shake the dust off. It's a Jewish thing. Jesus told the, his apostles to do it, right? Shake the dust off your feet. Basically, it means judgment comes upon you. You're not worthy of me, even to, have, to be walking there anymore. It's an amazing thing to think about, okay? But we're told that in the midst of all that, the believers rejoiced. And so now they go to Iconium, and that's where we're going to pick it up next week, where they go to Iconium and Lystra and Derby, and a lot of exciting things happen there, okay? But from this point, God is opening up the gospel to the Gentiles. And if you're like me today, you're one of those. I'm fully excited that God chose to open up the gospel to the Gentiles. That's why I'm here today. Isn't that cool? So in the end, are you ready to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's within you? Are you ready for it? If not, ask God to make you ready, okay? Take an hour every day to be in God's word. It's okay. An hour, yeah. You think of the, where you spend a lot of your time. Kids, God's word is more important than a video game. Okay? I'm not saying you can never, ever, ever play video games, but God's word is more important than a video game. Give up an hour of your time of your video games so you can read God's word. Adults, God's word is clearly much better, better for you than watching all those Facebook reels. Okay? I mean, if, you, if you're scrolling through Facebook all the time and you're wasting an hour or two on Facebook, you're wasting a whole, wasting, I'm using my terms properly, do you understand? You're wasting. And again, we're told in God's word to redeem the time because the days are evil, okay? Quit wasting time, okay? Quit being ah, um, ah, amused, yeah, not thinking, okay? Spend time in God's word, preparing yourself, training yourself, equipping yourself, allowing God to use you to be ready as a soldier of God to be able to proclaim his truth, okay? Are you excited to see others come to know Jesus? I hope you are, and at one, we're all going to say, sure, we are. But when we start seeing more and more of those, that grouping, we're like, ah, I'm not quite sure. Because 
things start changing. People have different cultural biases and different kind of stuff, and it brings it into the church, and you're like, ah, I'm not quite sure. They, they, it's okay if they get saved, but they got to look like me. And sadly, a lot of Amer- American missionaries go to other countries and try to make them Americanized. You got to wear you know, the pants, got to wear the shirt, got to do this, got to do that. And so there are the King James-only guys who go over there, and they try to teach them English so they can read the King James so they can get saved. It's like, that's ridiculous. It's not how God's word um, in his church works. How would you feel if the facility was packed today with visitors and maybe your seat wasn't available? Yep, you knew I was going to come back to it. And so it's something to think about, you know? I mean, I appreciate some of you. I mean, it's easy for me, right? I'm going to sit here, okay? Nobody wants to sit in the front row. Look at this. They're always available. It's always exciting when someone has to sit up front. It's spitting zone. Oh, I don't care. Come up here. You get your feet stepped on, literally, physically. That's why Marsha, a lot of times, you know, if she's up here, she'll sit, slide over this way because it's definitely foot-stepping zone, okay? I'm not a behind-the-pulpit guy. You know that, okay? And so I want a pulpit that's on wheels. And so, yeah, exactly right, okay? But are you willing to go to the overflow as we grow? And it's going to be three years, five years before we get a new facility. We're working on it. You know, civil engineer, he's already putting us down for a site survey, for the, um, the not site survey, but the, whatever you call it, when they come and do the survey, the official survey and that kind of stuff. So the, we voted last week, we're moving forward, okay? But the reality is it's going to be this fall before we even have county permissions and that kind of stuff to move forward, okay? And so then the first thing we're going to do is work in parking lot. We've got to see that entire field go away and become asphalt, okay? And so this before we can put a building up. So it's three to five years. Okay? This is a reality. And if we continue to grow as we've been growing, that means what? It starts to get uncomfortable. And we're not going to have two, two services because we don't want to become two congregations. Make sense? So we're going to have to work together as a family. Okay? Because, again, we're not a business. We're a family. Okay? And we're going to do what God wants us to do. Okay? And so, um, but how would you feel if you came in and you chose to go? Some of you have. And I, I praise the Lord for that, that you volunteer, you willingly have gone over to the overflow, okay? That's a hard thing to make the, oh, I came all the way here and I got to go sit and watch it on TV. I get it. I wouldn't like that either. That's why I'm the preacher. That's why I could be here all the time. If you want to preach, I'll go to the overflow. We got a deal, right? Okay. All right. Does it frustrate you to think that God has a plan and that maybe it's contrary to yours? <laughs> it was okay when God had a plan. It's not so good if it's what? Contrary to mine. That's exactly right. That's where it gets hard. Is there then a need to change the way you think and therefore change the way you act? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. You are God and God alone. Lord, you have a plan that you are working out. It is exceedingly abundantly beyond what we could ever imagine. And yet you have given us inklings in your word of how it's going to play out. You've told us even for the next phase when, when people are probably more in Jerusalem or say peace and safety, then sudden destruction is going to come upon them. Lord, we don't know the day or the hour. We don't know when's going to happen, but we know it is going to happen. And we know that you're going to come in a cloud and you're going to take up those who are, who are already dead and before us. And then you're going to cause us to be joining them in the clouds in your presence. And Lord, that you are going to work through your nation Israel uh, one more time and you're going to be calling them to yourself. You're going to send two witnesses to the earth. Moses, Elijah, I don't know who they'll be, Lord, but you're going to bring them, and we know from your word that you have set these appointments to happen. Lord, help us to be faithful and true as you are faithful and true. Help us to be faithful and true to read your word, 
Help us to be faithful and true, to live your word, and to believe you at all times. Lord, to be bold, as we saw Paul and Barnabas being bold, to be able to open up our mouths and to proclaim the truth, knowing that you're the one who gives the increase. May we see that increase for your glory. In Christ's name, amen.